Well, I think a number of things have transformed the market over the last uh, year or two. One is that the carbon pricing has obviously gone up, and that means that we can support much more investment and make more difference to more and more people and reduce carbon emissions. So that has clearly been totally transformational for us and gives the opportunity to do more and more things in more and more countries. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. Welcome back to Demystifying the Carbon Markets on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Grilly, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. Today, we kick off part two of our series, where our guests will take us through the carbon market supply chain, from the project developers, through the carbon crediting programs and registries, market intermediaries, and to the ultimate end users of carbon offsets. I'm joined today by Neil McDougall, chairman of Del Agua, whose Tabejo Neza, or Live Well program, is one of the largest cook stove programs of its kind and is addressing critical climate and health challenges at scale and for the long term in partnership with the government of Rwanda. Neil has worked in the international water sector for over 20 years, including projects in Mexico, Panama, Chile, Kazakhstan, and Indonesia. Hello, Neil. Welcome to Smarter Markets. Hi, David. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm very glad to have you here today to share with us your perspective on the carbon markets as a project developer. I imagine that while carbon financing can be very helpful in advancing Tobejo Neza's mission, producing carbon offsets was never your primary motivation. Can you tell us your story? I, I know you began in the water industry. What brought you to develop cook stove projects? It's a uh, fairly long and perhaps slightly interesting story. I have, as you say, worked in the uh, water and utilities sector for a number of years, often with the private equity sector and uh, investment banks. Uh, I was chairman and CEO of a company which worked in a number of countries around the world, including Chile, South Africa, Indonesia, the Philippines, Kazakhstan, um, and also uh, a UK water company. That was all part of our portfolio. So I had a, a lot of international uh, experience. And when I was uh, training as a chartered accountant with PwC, uh, I was very fortunate in that I was allowed to go to Liberia before I was qualified. Um, and I worked there for a number of months and I just loved it out there. Uh, it was very important for me personally and also professionally. And it was, you know, looking back on it now, I can see what an important part it was in my professional developments as well. A few years ago, I teamed up with a German investment bank and we bought a UK water company, taking it private from the uh, London Stock Exchange. Uh, I was the chairman and also the largest shareholder. It was a company with quite a few problems, uh, operational problems. Uh, it had very poor customer service. So we sorted all those issues out. Uh, and then we subsequently put in a much more uh, attractive financial structure in place, much more lower cost financing. 
And at the end of all that process, we sold that on to an Australian investment bank. It was a very successful acquisition and sale. And I was um, very interested at the end of that process to put something back to the world, and in particular, something in the developing world, particularly given my experience working in Liberia. I was approached shortly after the sale of the water company by the University of Surrey, which had a company called Delagua, which was a partnership between the university and Oxfam. And it had an interesting bit of kit, which did water testing, principally in the developing world. So I was very interested in it. Whenever there was a crisis somewhere which required uh, someone to test the water quality, this was the de facto kit to go to. It required a little investment. It required an invigoration of the management team. And I brought in a new management team and put some money into it to turn that round. Again, that was very successful. But once you've done something like that, you recognize that you're just beginning to recognize some of the problems and issues which there are in the world. Once you have identified that there is water pollution in the households, uh, water uh, which they receive from whether it be standpipes or streams or whatever, how do you then treat that? And that was the next stage after we sorted out the uh, water testing uh, to get uh, water filters into households at some kind of scale to make a difference to those populations. We decided that we needed to test this at some scale. We looked at various countries. We had some relationships already with Rwanda, where Delacqua had previously worked uh, using our water testing kit. And we approached the Ministry of Health to see if they might be interested in seeing the impact that a water filter might have in their population. The Ministry of Health were extremely helpful towards us, and they made one very interesting and important suggestion. They said, well, as well as the water filters, why don't you look at fuel-efficient stoves as well? They made some interesting points that the stove technology which, had been, which was used was extremely basic, uh, typically in Rwanda and also two billion other households across the world. They use a traditional three-stone fire, which is incredibly inefficient and is also very dirty. Um, and they said, well, if you're going to do water filters, why don't you use some stoves as well? So that's a very sensible thing to do. We had a small trial back in 2012 of 2,000 units, and we tested various water filters and stoves to see which would be the most appropriate for the conditions, because the conditions are extremely difficult, as one might imagine. Um, that was successful. We focused on a particular brand of stove and a particular water filter. And on the back of that, we did our first large-scale distribution back in 2014, uh, where we distributed 100,000 stoves and 100,000 water filters. The next step, and again, in partnership with the Ministry of Health, was to ascertain what benefits there might be in providing the stoves and the water filters to the households. And we'd concentrated on those households who had, um, who were the poorest 30% of the population who simply couldn't afford to buy a stove or a water filter. And we commissioned the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine to look at the 
program to see the benefits. And the benefits were you know, absolutely astonishing to us. We found that they did a randomized, randomized control trial, and that demonstrated that there was a reduction in infant mortality of 47%, and there was a 72% reduction in indoor pollution. So it was clearly making a, a very significant difference. So that's really where we got to, and that's when we decided, well, how are we going to be able to do this at scale? Those are really staggering numbers in terms of the reduction in infant mortality and pollution. I'd like to understand how carbon markets and how carbon financing has helped you further your mission. How did you get started with carbon financing, and what has it allowed you to do that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do? Well, frankly, the whole project, without carbon financing, we would not be working on this project now. We had done a little bit of work on the carbon market back in 2012 and 2014, but we're looking really at the way how we could do this at scale. We didn't want just to do a very small project and stop and not be able to support it over the longer term. And the carbon markets are what enabled us to do that. So by using a fuel efficient stove, you can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 35 tonnes per stove over the length of the stove, which now is about 10 years. That meant that we could uh, generate 35 credits per stove. And that was really the basis of what we've been uh, doing to expand the project from the initial 100,000 to where we are now. We've completed 640,000 distributions in Rwanda. I'm expecting to do 2.3 million over the next three years in total. Have you encountered any problems in using the carbon markets? One of the biggest problems was the slump in the carbon price soon after the 2016 distributions, which meant that we couldn't do any more distributions until the carbon markets approved a couple of years ago. So, yes, there have been a lot of challenges which we've had to face but I would hope now that we have seen the worst of those. And uh, with the uptick in prices and the level of interest, I would hope that we won't have those same issues in the future. So, yes, there are some issues. Uh, volatility of price is one of them. And the other significant factor for us has been the, uh, the hi hiatus with CDM, which, as I'm sure you're aware, effectively stopped issuing any credits post-2020 which for entities which were in the compliance market, that's caused them a great deal of issues. And is there a price for carbon that you know, is a level which really helps you expand the scale of the cookstove projects? Well, when we first went into the uh, project, pricing was somewhere between $20 and $30. It then fell back to $0.50 cents a dollar, somewhere around about that, and that pretty much stopped everything. We are now between $8 and $11, somewhere around that price, we tend to get a premium because of all the co-benefits that these stoves bring. And at that price, we can afford to fund the purchase of the stove, distribute it, and most importantly, continue to support the stove over the life of the project. What do you look for in an investor or a partner from the carbon markets? Well, first of all, I think we have to show them that they can make a commercial return. They're not simply not going to invest if, uh, if, they, if they don't get their commercial return. But we're looking for more than that. Um, there are lots of people who are looking for commercial returns. We're really looking for, for people who appreciate the additional benefits that we bring. So as well as the benefits of the carbon reduction, 
we provide a range of co-benefits associated with that. One of the obvious ones is for women and children, because they're the ones who typically have to go out and find the firewood uh, and then cook. You can, because our new stove reduces the firewood by 71%, there's much less time looking for firewood. And also the stove cooks at a much higher temperature. So the amount of time which is spent on cooking is significantly reduced, which means that girls who typically do the cooking after school can finish before darkness comes so they can do some homework or other gainful employment. Obviously, there's a range of nature benefits associated with the, the project as well. We're reducing deforestation. Um, and the amount of carbon which we will produce from the, from the project is very significant. It's equivalent to taking all the cars off the streets of London and New York. So really what we find for people is that they are interested not just in the commercial returns, but also the additional benefits which they, uh, which they bring. And it's important to us that they share our vision. We went into this sector to benefit the developing world. Carbon is a route to do that. It's the fuel which funds it. We are looking to do more than just reduce carbon. It's a much more holistic approach, which we have. And I'm delighted to say that many investors share our, our vision. Um, we've got some, a range of blue chip investors, people like Shell, Base Carbon, Hanwha Energy and South Korean Inchian Petroleum from Korea, German governments, Swedish energy agencies. So there are many people which share our uh, concerns and our interests. And there's been a noticeable number of new investors who are also looking to expand into this market, and we're looking forward to working with them too. And you mentioned some of the attributes of the projects that investors are looking for. So, of course, starting with a return on investment, but also the co-benefits and the additional benefits beyond the carbon reduction. Are there things about the project developer themselves that you find investors are looking for? There certainly are. This is a very, very complicated exercise, and it's also a long-term relationship. From the time that the stoves are delivered to the time we finish collecting carbon credits is typically 14 years. That's a long time to have any kind of partnership arrangements. And it's important, therefore, that the investors are confident that we have the relevant experience to do a project of this scale. We've been working now in Rwanda for over 10 years. We've delivered 640,000 stoves to two households, and we clearly do have that, uh, that experience. And that's extremely important for people. It's also important that investors appreciate and can see that we have the infrastructure across the whole country, because this is a countrywide project, to be able to deliver the stoves, install them, and then continue to support them. That is absolutely critical to investors. And the difficult part of that, and the bits which not everybody does, is the ongoing support. So as well as the original distribution where, we, where our community health workers go to a village, they look at every household is due to receive a stove, they um, do a village sort of teaching about the benefits of the stove, how to use it, the issues associated with using the traditional stove. They do the distribution and they then follow that up. So every single household gets a visit from a community health worker. 
The community health workers are trained, they use technology, all the data is uploaded in real time, including pictures of the recipients, the contract which they sign. And our, um, our community health workers spend an hour and a half, at least, at every household who receives the stove, showing people how to use it and asking a whole series of questions. We typically ask 120 questions to every household which receives the stove. So we know how many children they have, how they cook, all these kind of things, which is very important as part of generating the credits and also providing additional support in the future. But that's not something we just do as a one-off. We do that every single year of the projects. So every household will receive a visit from a community health work worker who will support them. They provide ongoing education, do any amendments to the uh, or any repairs to the stove itself, as well as giving general health advice. So that's that's, I think, one of the most important things which people are looking for, that you can deliver that at scale across the whole country. I think the other thing is that the investors are increasingly recognising that not all stoves are created equal in the same way as not all credits are created equal. They are looking that people use the most appropriate stove. And that's something which we spend a lot of time on. We are technology agnostic. We will use whatever is the, the best and most appropriate technology. That's improving over time. So we will, uh, we will always use the latest and the best technology. And that's definitely a, a, a big differentiator. At, uh, and I expect that to be the case increasingly with time. I think the other issue which investors look at is the relationship with the government. And again, I think that's going to be something which is increasingly important. We have enjoyed a fantastic relationship with the government of Rwanda from the very first days when we approached the Ministry of Health over 10 years ago now. The government has been incredibly supportive. We work now not just with the Ministry of Health, but we work with the Ministry of the Environment, the Ministry of Finance, and a dozen other government agencies. And they've been you know, very, very supportive over, over the years. And they ensure that uh, we have access to the community health workers. We currently employ 4,000 community health workers. We are ramping up our distribution capacity by the beginning of next year. I expect we'll be employing about 10,000 community health workers. So we're a very significant employer now in the, uh, in the country. And I think the, the final thing just to talk about what people are looking for is um, the information technology and the database. That's important, not just for generating the credits, because that's sort of the source data. But as we look to expand and provide additional uh, goods and services to people, that will be the route we can identify those recipients who are interested in um, who might be interested in additional goods and services. I can't help be struck by the the long-term relationships that seem to go throughout what you've said between the the investors and the project developer, between the project developer and the people that are using the cook stoves, between the project developer and the the government of the area. And I imagine those relationships it's you know beyond the education that also helps provide real confidence that the stoves are being used and the carbon is being reduced as well. And I guess that falls in part of the, the monitoring piece of it that you talked about. Well, that's absolutely right. And the carbon markets are critical to that. Um, one of the reasons why we go back every year to each household is to encourage them to use the stove. because They don't use the stove. We don't generate credits. It's a, 
to pay for performance model, but the recipients love their stoves. We have audited data now which shows two years post-distribution, 99% of households use their stove on a daily basis. And I, I want to turn to, to some of those stories, but before I do, I just wanted to ask you quickly, are there some things that you need from the carbon market that you aren't getting? I know you mentioned you know, having a price that meets a certain threshold, having stability in price are things that are, are very helpful. Are there other things in, in the carbon market that would help you in your mission and your projects? As you said as well, volatility is, is, is an issue on pricing. I am somewhat concerned that the hiatus with CDM has undermined the credibility of certain parts of the market. But otherwise, I think the carbon sector is very interesting, and I think it'll show a very long life. And so I wanted to get back to hearing a little bit more about the the impact these cook stoves are having beyond carbon, because it's easy for us all to get focused on things we can quantify, like the tons of carbon emissions avoided. And, And it's you know, important and impressive. But can you also share with us some stories of the impact that these projects are having on people's lives? Well, the project completely transforms people's lives. You can see it from the very first moment you come into a village, a village which doesn't have one of our stoves. There's a pool of smoke hanging over the village. When you get into the village itself, which doesn't have a stove, you go into people's houses and they are black inside because of all the smoke which is produced by the stove. Imagine living in those conditions, having to breathe in all that smoke. So by using our stove, we very significantly reduce those emissions, reduce the smoke, and we also encourage people to cook outside, all of which is a huge health benefit to people. Uh, The other issue is the fact that women and children as huge avoidance of drudgery. And when we go to villages, the people who are the most keen to talk to us and thank us for all the work which we've done is are the women and children because it significantly reduces the drudgery associated with cooking and getting firewood and so on as well. And of course, people spend a lot less time ill, so they, they're more productive. They don't have to spend as much money on doctors and medicine. They lead a much healthier and more productive life. And The other factor, obviously, is the financial difference it makes to people. For those people who buy wood rather than collect it, it typically costs $19 per month to buy your firewood. By using the stove, that reduces your monthly expenditure to $5.50. So over the life of the stove, that's almost $1,700 which has been saved, all of which goes to their income. And these people are very poor. They live on a dollar, a dollar fifty a day. And to release that amount of funding does transform people's life. They can invest in their business, in their children, in their education, all sorts of improvements which can come from the savings which are are made. Those are wonderful impacts. So I should also explain that um, when we go back to villages and we show the investors where their stoves have actually gone, for them... I've seen some extraordinary reactions from investors, hard-nosed investors who you know, we've arm-wrestled with over the final details of the investment terms, go into a project, see the difference they're making, and just start crying. It's the most extraordinary emotional thing for people to see the difference which these, these projects make. Yeah, and it's wonderful to see the impact on those who are the recipients of the cook stoves and also the impact on those who are 
making the contributions, the investors. Now, your program, Tobejo Neza, is one of the largest and most impactful of the cook stove programs. What do you see as some of the key reasons for your success? I think the biggest difference and something which I think we just made a policy decision on very early on was to distribute the stoves free of charge. That may seem quite obvious now, but given that people are, as I say, earning a dollar or a dollar fifty a day, that has to cover all their costs, their education, food, heating, their housing costs, all these types of things on a dollar, a dollar fifty. And they simply couldn't afford to buy a stove. Asking them to buy a stove for $25 or $35, um, it was just impossible for them to be able to do that. You might as well ask them to go and buy a Rolls Royce. Uh, It couldn't happen. It was somewhat controversial to do the distributions on a free of charge basis. A lot of institutions wanted us to charge for the stoves, even though it was clear to us that people couldn't afford to to do that. Uh, But I think that the free of charge is the main reason why this project has been so successful. And our other projects, which we're looking at expansion into Rwanda and other countries, we will certainly be adopting the free of charge route. That's a key to our success has been the adoption of the uh, FOC route. I think also the partnership with the government of Rwanda has been very important for us. The government have been very helpful. They've been very supportive. We couldn't really do what we're doing now unless we had that relationship. And that's a relationship with not many other stove projects have. And we're very keen to work with the government in introducing other goods and services, providing water filters and so on to their population in in the fullness of time as well. And the other issue, of course, is the ongoing support that we provide to the recipients. Very few other stove projects provide annual visits to all the households. That's very unusual. And we see that as a a key differentiator. And it's one of the reasons why we've been so successful, not least of which, of course, to generate additional carbon credits. And I think the other issue is, yeah, we've made mistakes and we've learned from those mistakes. And we continue to tweak our program 10 years later. And as we expand, um, we will learn the lessons which, we, which we've derived over the last few years to expand uh, and accelerate our program. And with having, I, think, I believe you said it was over 10,000 workers in Rwanda, it sounds like it's, you're a, a real part of the community as well. And I imagine that makes a difference. That's why they're called community health workers. And that's why our program's called Tube and Naza. Our T-shirts, well, all our team have got Tube and Naza on them. And on those T-shirts, it shows that it's a partnership within Delagua and the government of Rwanda. And that's what makes a difference. People, we're an integral part of people's lives now. People trust us, which is why we are, I say, we're keen to expand into other areas, sanitary projects, toothpaste, soap, solar power, these types of things. So that's something which we're moving into in the future. You mentioned a few things that you learned along the way that, you know, when you look back, think, oh, maybe that shouldn't have been a surprise. You know, cook stoves over water filters. Thank you. It just mentioned as well, giving the stoves away as opposed to charging them to people who would have difficulty affording them. Are there any other things that surprised you or important lessons you learned along the way? There are a number of, I think, important lessons. The first of them is to do things at scale. If you want to make a difference, do them at scale. The bigger you are, the lower your costs are in terms because you can negotiate with your, your suppliers, 
you have the same overhead costs. So we keep our unit costs very, very low as a result of the efficiency of our program. I find it incredibly frustrating when I see people who spent $12 million distributing 5,000 stoves. Think how much benefit you could give to people uh, if you had access to that money. So that is a little bit frustrating. As I say, I think the other important thing is that we are technology agnostic. We will use whatever is the best technology for that particular country and location and household. And that's something which we we continue to monitor all the latest technologies to make sure we have the most appropriate technology available to pay for. In what ways do you think that your experience is similar to that of other project developers? And in what ways do you think it may be different? There are many things which are similar. There are many things also which are different. We do things at a different scale. We are by far the largest individual project by some margin anywhere in, in the world. And we want to bring the benefits of that scale and knowledge to, to other countries. Free distributions, obviously, is another issue which um, we are committed to, which not everybody is committed to. And also the ongoing support, that's another sort of differentiator. But I think there are a lot of good work going on at the moment in, in this sector, some high quality projects. And we look forward to working with all those other organizations because what we're interested in is improving people's lives. So sometimes better to be colleagues than competitors. Absolutely, yes. Uh, I'd like to close today by getting your assessment on the outlook for cookstove projects. As we wrap up, what do you think's going right? What's going wrong? And you know, what's next for you and to Bejonesa? Well, I think a number of things have transformed the market over the last uh, year or two. One is that the carbon pricing has obviously gone up, and that means that we can support much more investment and make more difference to more and more people and reduce carbon emissions. So that has clearly been totally transformational for us and gives the opportunity to do more and more things in more and more countries. The second area which has been um, transformational to us is the new technologies which have been introduced. The latest stoves are much more efficient than before. They now use 71% less wood, which is much more efficient. They reduce harmful gas emissions, obviously, as part of that, that exercise. And also, they last a lot longer. So a combination of more carbon generated and higher prices means that it's a much more attractive market for investors, which means that we can look to expand it and bring the benefits of stoves and other goods and services to a wider range of people. So that's really our next step now is to look beyond Rwanda. We've got a short list of about 12 countries. We're talking with various people and various governments to transfer the skills and knowledge and IT and so on from Rwanda into different locations. And that's key thing which we're looking to do now as well. So that's a very interesting part of our activities. And interesting, we are also now looking back at the water filters, which, as I said earlier, were not as popular as the stoves. But we found some people were extremely interested in using water filters. And those tended to be families with young children where they wanted to ensure that they got water or formula milk, which wasn't contaminated. And because of the data which we've generated from my household visits, we can now target those particular families who have younger children who will be much keener to use the the water filters. So this is the kind of thing which we can use our existing infrastructure to do, to bring the benefits of other products to the population, all based on carbon markets. 
Thanks again to Neil McDougall, chairman of Del Agua. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week with David Antonioli, CEO of Vera, who'll help demystify the role of greenhouse gas crediting programs and registries in the carbon markets. This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon. The trading of carbon credits can help companies and the world meet ambitious goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But how do we judge the quality of these projects? And how can we ensure that our investments are creating real value? At Base Carbon, we're focused on financing and facilitating the transition to net zero through trusted and transparent partners. It's time to focus on what's important. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by Abax. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees, and producer, Abax Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next week.